This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Happy Friday, friends. Welcome back to the WOMED. Jack and I are here with a very special friend of the pod, Dr. Shoshana Ungleider. But first, Jack, should we do another DM in the DMs? Mostly just because I love the little ring it has, DM in the DMs. Well, I just did a podcast with Brian and Mike, the Talking It Out podcast. And I haven't shared much on the show about, you know, really in depth, like, talking about grief. But I actually I've had like a lot of very sweet messages regarding that of people who really relate to. Well, unfortunately, they relate because they can understand because they've been through what I've been through. But I'm going to read this very sweet message. This podcast has me in tears. I feel so seen. Your situation is so similar to mine in the sense that we both lost people to addiction and the guilt that comes after it. The immense feeling of loss when they first died but now years after the fact, you're relieved in a sense. It is so hard to say the words because you feel guilty for it. But had they not died, we wouldn't be where we are now, which is a much better and happier place. Are we happy they died? No, of course not. But the truth is we are living more fulfilling lives now because of it. And that is a hard concept to grapple with. And not many people would understand it. (sighs) Wow. It just reminds me like, you know, like I had a lot of you know, I had like a whole pro con list about going back on the show. But, you know, being able to obviously, like, I don't want the fact that my fiance died to define me. It doesn't define me. Like when you think about me, is that like one of the first things you think about? No, Mm -hmm. definitely not. No. But the fact that something that's a part of me can help other people not feel so alone and being able to share that experience, that means so much to me. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, have you been getting a lot of messages like that? And how do those messages make you feel? Do they, is it hard to keep reading things like that? Or does it give you a reminder of why you wanted to share your story? I've been getting a lot of messages like that. And it's hard to not want to respond to all of them because that's a boundary like I have to set personally because that's a lot of energy to give and like keep going back to with the story and giving out to that many people, like I just can't do it. Um, so I hope that anyone's listening that has sent me a message like that know that like I, I see it and I appreciate it and I'm sending you out so much love. 
but it is a lot to mm. personally like respond and give more of that time to so many people. But your responses are so appreciated. And like, that's what that's what I want to happen. Like in taking the time and space to share something, it makes someone else not feel so alone to hear. And in a really lonely time. Well, I think that's extremely fair that you set that boundary for yourself. You know yourself well, and you've been going through this for the last you know, decade. You, you've figured out what you need to do to take care of yourself. I just applaud mm-hmm. you so much on your courageousness and your vulnerability. Always every week with me on the podcast, whenever we have these conversations about grief and loss, but also for going on national TV and, and sharing your story, that is not easy. And you, I have to say, you guys, I, Danielle, have been so impressed with the way that you have been handling yourself, one, on the beach, but two, just in all of this extra stuff that goes along with being on a huge show like this. Social media is not kind. Twitter is not kind. And you've just handled yourself with so much grace and so much dignity. And your true colors are shining through, girlfriend. And I love watching it. I am so in awe. I love you. (laughs) Twitter's usually the meanest butt. So now, especially since Elon Musk took that over, I think I'm going to (laughs) like nix that even more. Fuck that guy. (laughs) Well, speaking of extremely strong and courageous women, we hope that you guys love this episode with Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. This was such a powerful episode. We are so grateful for her honesty and just everything that she embodies in this episode. I hope that you guys find a bit of education, but also empowerment and we'll catch you on the other side. Well, Shoshana, welcome back to the Womad. We are so so happy, always happy to have you on. Really love all the work that you've been doing. And you actually just launched and well. So like you're just you're a podcasting queen. You've got like the TED podcast, you've got and well. I mean, like, how do you what's are you are you gonna do another podcast? Do you wanna be like our third co-host? <laughs> I'd love to be your third co-host. Thank you so much for having me back on. And yeah, you know, it's the the podcast thing has is been you know exciting. I you know, doing audio stuff was uh, something super new and different and you know, with Endwell wanting to expand our audience and reach more people, uh, we thought, let's try out a podcast. So season one just launched a few weeks ago. We're we're really excited about it. What kind of topics um, have you covered so far? And are you hoping to cover more of with the NWell podcast? Well, this first season, which is sort of a short season of nine episodes, we've really gone back to our former NWell speakers. So people like Rabbi Steve Leader, who's an incredible philosopher, spiritual leader, and then his own kind of expert on grief. Um, Mm -hmm. We've had uh, Jeremy Saunders, who's somebody who's living with cystic fibrosis into Mm -hmm. his late thirties and really thriving. And he's sort of, he's also a podcaster, finding (laughs) kind of humor in, in his own mortality. Um, And we launched the entire uh, season, this first season with Esther Perel who's a psychotherapist Ooh, and she's on our list. <laughs> oh, she is probably the most brilliant person I've ever met. She just is, you know, so 
incredibly thoughtful about modern relationships. And, and in the context of Endwell, she really talked about how do you find intimacy in the setting of, mm-hmm. of illness? Mm-hmm. And what does that look like for people? It was, it was just so real. And it, it was like, she, she touched on concepts that I never thought of. And it, it just blew my mind. Wow. We're sticking within the wheelhouse of kind of end well. So caregiving, end of life, grief. But we're really wanting to highlight conversations about the joy and the beauty and, and the depth of human connection that can be made in the face of uh, some of this realness that we've, you know, we will all face if we haven't already throughout our lives. So uh, that's the End Wealth podcast. Wow. And so obviously we had, you know, for our listeners, maybe that are just tuning in uh, or newer here, we had you on last season where we did talk about particularly death, grief, palliative care, hospice, and your work in those fields and how you then kind of shifted with Endwell. And um, so I would love to kind of direct our listeners to that episode as well to kind of get some background there. But now after launching Endwell, like what else has been going on? Catch us up since we talked to you last. Oof. There's been a lot. This summer, uh, my father was diagnosed with uh, stage four pancreatic cancer that kind of just hit us out of nowhere. My dad's like 73, never been sick a day in his life, has never taken medication. You know, he was out running and swimming every day until, until that moment. And the last, you know, four months or so, he's been really struggling and, um, and, and doing chemo and, and all the things in order to feel better. But it's really been an interesting and and difficult period of time where, you know, I'm, I'm an internist. This is the kind of thing I take care of all the time with my patients. And obviously I have an interest in, in serious illness and end of life. So this was really my kind of professional wheelhouse, but it's so different when it's, your own family and you really bump up against all of the limitations of our healthcare system, which are vast, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And thinking about how to be a, a daughter and a caregiver and step away from being a doctor, even though it's you know ingrained in me. And so it's really been eye-opening and of course so hard. And yeah, and I, and I guess what I would say is that we're in a unique situation in that stage four pancreatic cancer, typically you think of is you know a death sentence, right? Mm-hmm. You, you the, the prognosis is is typically months, except that he has a mutation, um, the BRCA, the BRCA mutation, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't realize is also found in men, not just in women. Yeah. But it, it's actually opening the door for him to a lot of potential um, for life extending treatment once he gets through chemo. So that was all really new and, you know, bringing us lots and lots of hope in the face of a very challenging situation. And in the midst of all that, you know, I found out that I am BRCA positive and just actually had a, a big preventive surgery. I have another one coming up in uh, in a few months here. So it's it's been a lot. <laughs> a 
before we, you know, move, obviously I want we're going to touch into all of this and dive deeper, but before we go into that, I really just want to hold some space for you because I, like you said, this is your work that you do every day, but I just cannot imagine the amount of, I don't even want stress and grief at the same time and the fear that comes with a diagnosis like this. I just want to thank you for, you know, sharing your story and for being so honest and vulnerable to to share because I know that your story will be able to hopefully help and educate others. But I do just want to hold some space for you mm-hmm. here and just, you know, check in personally with you as a friend and our hearts go out to you and your family. Thank you so much. It, it really has been, you know, when I say it out loud and I tell the story, I'm like, this is what's happening. Like, oh my God. You know, and when you're in it, you're just like minute to minute, you know, day to day, sort of in crisis mode. And it's, it is really hard, especially for someone like me, who's just all about how do I solve this next problem? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get past this little obstacle onto the next, onto the next? And it's like, I'm having a really hard time taking those pauses and recognizing, you know, how hard it is. And uh, yeah, it's, it's truly been a lot. (laughs) And I, and I tell the story because I really want to be able to not only normalize these kinds of situations that, you know, so many people are facing all the time, but then also in the context of, of the BRCA, the BRCA mutation, let people know that this is something that is very prevalent. One in 400 people in in the United States have this mutation and like up to a million people, they think don't know it. And so the, the crazy thing is, is when I learned that like, first and foremost, pancreatic cancer is associated with BRCA, which in med school, I did not learn. Mm -mm. Right. We always think of it, it's named BRCA for the breast cancer Mm. gene, right? right? So we think about it in the context of families that have breast cancer, ovarian cancer, younger people getting those diseases, and then we screen them, but pancreatic cancer, melanoma, aggressive prostate cancer, Mm -hmm. and probably others that we're studying now are also associated with BRCA. And again, men can pass it down you know, to their children. So anyone has a 50-50 chance of their any given child having BRCA if they themselves have it. And so one in 40 Ashkenazi Jews, which is my family heritage, which is extremely uh, common in, you know, among us, people just don't know. And honestly, if it weren't for my dad's illness, there's, I would never have thought to, to test. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the silver lining is that, you know, his, his terminal illness is probably saving my life. Oh, wow. Uh, I remember when you reached out and uh, you shared that article with me, I actually sent it to a couple of different friends too, who had reached out, you know, as a nurse, everyone comes to you, they're like, oh, hey, my family, or like, my dad just got diagnosed with this. What does this mean? Or like, my kid's in the NICU, what do I need to expect? You know, you, you get flooded with like, Give me what knowledge you have on these things. But I've actually had a couple of friends who's either like their uncle or their dad or something have had like a more aggressive form of prostate cancer. And after reading your article, I was like, hey, not trying to scare you. Just want to send you a little heads up since this is like starting to trend in your family. Maybe see if, you know, you guys carry this gene mutation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm so glad. And and I hope the the article, you know, is sparking these kinds of conversations and mm-hmm. especially among physicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that any of this stuff, right. my doctor at, you know, and a great institution in San Francisco who was mm-hmm. trained academically did not know that there's a link. And right. so I think we have to do be as, as consumers, as patients of, you know, mm-hmm. of, of our healthcare system have to be advocates, but we also need to be teaching, you know, our, our colleagues about this stuff because it's, it's really changed a whole lot over the last even five to 10 years, this space of genetic testing has just exploded. And so there's so many options now, you know, to get, to get tested, whether you go through your doctor or you go through a genetic testing company. Um, but they're, these tests are, are pretty cheap. They're very accurate and, and they're very actionable. If you mm-hmm. do, in fact, find out you have a mutation, there are things you can do. So I felt when I found out I had BRCA, I felt actually, I mean, I was shocked, but mm-hmm. then I, a minute later was like, okay, so now I know and I can do something about it. Mm you know, and there's so many people in my family with cancer, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, I sort of was like, well, I'm I'm probably getting cancer in my life. So I'll just, you know, be as careful as I can be and eat well and exercise and, you know, all the things. But now knowing about BRCA and actually Mm -hmm. knowing my risk, Mm -hmm. for me, it was very straightforward what to do next. Mm -hmm. For me, having surgery was the right thing to do. Certainly that's not everybody's path because there's ways that, you you know, you can screen certainly for breast cancer, ovarian cancer. We have no screening tools, unfortunately. Um, and so surgery is what's recommended for people my age. <laughs> I'm 42. But in the context of also trying to be with my dad as much as I can, this is all, it's it's been a really challenging last few months. What do you think, like the hiccup is there among providers that like, they just aren't aware yet of this link with the BRCA gene. I think if you're not an oncologist or, uh, you know, a surgical, a surgical oncologist, say you're not dealing with cancer day in and day out, it just hasn't come on your radar because we have so much new information that gets generated all the time, you know, from, from, from research, we all just can't stay up to date on everything. Uh, so I, I have to, assume that that's the reason. And we also probably haven't done the best job of getting the word out about this. And so one of the reasons I'm being so vocal about it and, and almost oversharing, I would say my experience is because I really, really want people to know. Mm -hmm. Right. So even if your doctor is like, well, no one in your family has breast or ovarian cancer or, oh, your mom got cancer, but it was really late in life. So it's unlikely that you have BRCA. It's like, okay, but still it's reasonable to screen again, because Mm. these tests are so accessible. They're not expensive. You know, sometimes they're even covered by insurance. And then the information is actually really actionable typically to be able to reduce your lifetime risk of cancer. So to me, it's like, why aren't we testing many, many more people? Right. And these are like the big cancers. These are, I mean, breast cancer, pancreatic cancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's pancreatic cancer and specifically is, is such a silent killer. You don't, you don't find it till it's, it's too late more often than not. Earlier, you had mentioned that since 
your dad had the BRCA2 mutation that that actually opened up the doors to like some different types of cancer treatments modalities and stuff that like actually extending the life and making this not quite such a sudden like you only have a couple months to live sentence yeah so when we first visited the oncologists you know I went with him and they said you know it's possible you could have BRCA and mm-hmm. that's actually a good thing and I was like huh what what is he talking about and then mm-hmm. he said you know I have patients with stage four pancreatic adenocarcinoma, that's the kind of cancer that, you know, we're talking about that have lived for eight and even 10 years with their diagnosis. That's unreal. Yeah. And my jaw just was dropped. I kind of looked at him and I was like, Like how many? Like, like, yeah, that's impossible. What are you talking about? So these new uh, class of medicines are called PARP inhibitors. P-A-R-P, and I can't even remember what that stands for. Um, And it's an approved treatment. It's not experimental. It's already kind of standard of care for people Mm -hmm. with BRCA-associated, BRCA-mutated pancreatic cancer and other kinds of cancer. Um, And so they're also looking at types of immunotherapy in clinical trials that could be, in addition, um, helpful for people. And again, I mean, this is what we call maintenance therapy. It's taken orally, a pill by mouth. And right now, people have to complete a course of traditional systemic IV chemotherapy first in order to shrink Mm -hmm. down their tumor burden and then are potentially eligible, you know, for these PARP inhibitors, which, you know, are are not curing people, right? But they're kind of, I think of it like, this is not scientific, but it's kind of like freezing the cancer in time. It keeps mm-hmm. it at bay for mm-hmm. hopefully years and people can have a, a decent quality of life. And so that's what we're hoping for, for my dad. Yeah. And he has a couple more months of, of chemo and he's, he's really trying to hang in there. Um, but chemotherapy, oof, it's no joke. No. <sighs> My mom, I similarly was, well, not similarly, but was diagnosed with breast cancer about five years ago and went through chemotherapy, tested for the BRCA, was BRCA negative, but it brought up a lot of those kind of like ethical questions and personal questions of, is this something, you know, if she were to be positive, should I get tested? I think it can be such an empowering, but also such a scary piece of information that people struggle with. You obviously wanted to get tested, but I wanted to kind of backtrack a little bit specifically to this this moment where you had to make this decision for yourself to get tested. Was this something easy for you to, yes, I want to get tested? Well, I'll share something about myself. I suck at uncertainty. So I think that's <laughs> a lot of doctors, just, right? <laughs> We're kind of like, okay, I don't want to live in this limbo place. Like, give me the data, give me the information. I can handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually got test. I actually tested even before my dad's results came back because I was like, mm-hmm. if even there's the tiniest chance that I didn't even, I wasn't even thinking BRCA. There's other, many other genetic mutations too that mm-hmm. are even associated with pancreatic cancer. And I just said, you know what? 
I have a good friend who happens to be a genetic counselor down in LA. And she was like, let's just, let's just test you. There's, there's a whole genetic panel that we can do. And I would say also, I want to give a plug for genetic counselors. They are phenomenal, you know, really, really helpful in terms of navigating this stuff. There's ways to outside of even your own doctor or healthcare system, find them Mm. just to get advice on which tests to do. They order it for you. They walk you through results. It's just been so, so, so helpful. So for me, I was like, I just want to know what I'm dealing with here. Again, I didn't think it would be BRCA. So those results were shocking for me, but it was no question at all. Once I got the test back, like what to do, I got the results at about three o'clock in the afternoon. And within an hour and a half, I already had my surgery scheduled. I called my colleagues and I was like, Hey, this is what I'm dealing with. Like, I know I'm not going to be okay with just sitting and, and waiting. Now that's me. I think there are so many considerations for young women. Not that I'm not young, but you know, if you haven't had children and you want them, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's questions about whether or not removing your ovaries and fallopian tubes makes sense mm-hmm. at any given age. So that's something certainly to talk through and of course think about. Um, but it is recommended highly yeah. to 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 have that surgery. And then in thinking about your risk of breast cancer, right? Some people decide, Angelina Jolie did this many, many years ago, you know, to have a preventive mastectomy, Mm -hmm. um, which doesn't completely eliminate your risk of breast cancer, but it makes it, you know, pretty darn, uh, you know, low that you would end up, you know, getting breast cancer in your lifetime. There's ways to screen, right? We have mammograms, we have MRIs that we do um, to screen for breast cancer if you are in fact high risk. And certainly everybody, you know, should be getting mammograms anyway to screen. But if you have a genetic mutation that increases your risk, there's ways that we can look for cancer. For me, I just felt like I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm very comfortable. And I, you know, well, I say this before I've even had the surgery, but in December, I'm I'm planning to have a preventive mastectomy and reconstruction. Uh And there's ways to do this that, you know, don't require lots and lots of different surgeries. We're, we've come so far in terms of surgical technique and ways to to cosmetically have a good outcome. So I'm, I'm hoping for that. Well, we're really hopeful for you. And we're here too to support you in any way that, that we can as well. Thank you. As far as testing goes, is um, I think I read in the article that there a lot of people actually qualify for genetic testing and like it could be covered. Yes, absolutely. So if you have a first degree relative with one of those cancers, um, typically, uh, so that's, that's a, a aggressive prostate, um, breast or ovarian cancer, um, melanoma. Now, so there's all these now new cancer guidelines that I, I don't remember them word for word in terms of at what age does your relative have to be diagnosed in order for insurance to cover? It's a little bit nuanced and each one has its own rules. But I would say if there's any question, you know, speak for speak to your doctor and hopefully they will be able to you know help you in terms of understanding whether or not genetic testing makes sense. But if you want to just undergo genetic testing 
you can seek out a genetic counselor. That's somebody who has an advanced degree in genetics. So this is what they do is think about, you know, high risk genetic mutations and counsel patients. And so there's a website, I believe it's findageneticcounselor.com where anyone can go online and and look up in their state who is, uh, who's licensed to provide genetic counseling. And you can decide directly with them um, does it make sense to test? And like the tests are like $250. That's it. So that's not nothing, but it's not, you know, a crazy amount of money. Mm-hmm. And then um, you can review your results uh, with the genetic counselor and and with your doctor, ideally, um, or, or other healthcare professional, and then make a decision, you know, if, if you have, you know, mutation, what to do. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's not cheap, but also like when you look at the, like what a test result can give you as opposed to preventing how many hundreds of thousands of dollars in in treatment. It's like, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of things to weigh, you know? Well, and peace of mind too, Mm -hmm. you know, like what's that worth? I think I'd, I'd pay a lot more than $250 (laughs) to find out I didn't have a genetic mutation if I was worried about it, you know? Right. But certainly, you know, getting those results is life changing and you sort of have to be ready for that. And so I think that's why, you know, having a conversation with your with your healthcare provider, with maybe a genetic mm-hmm. counselor can be helpful because they they put it in a, in in context of like, okay, we're doing something major here, we're looking for something potentially that could change your life forever. But here's what it will help us do you know, and here the, you know, there, there will, there will be options for you. So you're not just getting results and then sitting there going, Oh my gosh, now I know something bad's going to happen, but there's nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. It's there is, there are, there are things to do. I love how this conversation has obviously, I'm sure it's been extremely eye opening to our listeners. It's been extremely eye opening to me, especially just to dispel some of these myths around BRCA being only associated with breast cancer. Can you touch a little bit more on why it's important for men to get tested too? I know we've Mm -hmm. kind of touched on it a little bit, but I still think that there is just such this stigma and this like, I don't know, this like understanding with men that they have this fear of going to the doctor or to kind of take take control of their health. But men also get breast cancer too. So it's like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, they, they do. I mean, at, at much lower rates, but absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I I have often, you know, with my own patients, with my own family, you know, have, have plenty of, of men who are freaked out by going to the doctor. I think women, mm-hmm. I don't know, I actually don't know why it is that women are much more kind of like open to dealing with, with health stuff. I think maybe it's because we, from a young age, sort of, you know, have screening that is mm-hmm. is done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get, we get used to it and it's more normalized for women to go, go see the doctor and have your, you know, annual exam and, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas men don't, don't have that so much. And so for them, if it's later in life that they're engaging with a preventive healthcare scenario, it's, it's, I can see that that's a little scary. Mm-hmm. Um, but Certainly with BRCA, other genetic mutations, you know, I think men don't necessarily realize that that they could be at risk. And so certainly thinking about your own family history, finding out, you know, what did grandma and grandpa die of? What? Oh, my uncle has that. What is that? You know, mm-hmm. being being curious and then 
you know, bringing it up to your doctor if if you in fact are, you know, worried about it, I think is really, really important because again, like this is not just a women's issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it wasn't, you know, there's no women in my family with breast or ovarian cancer. Wow. It's only been men who've died of esophageal cancer, pancreatic cancer. Now my grandmother had pancreatic cancer, but you know, again, no, no breast or ovarian cancer. So it's, it's important to get the word out about this Mm -hmm. because it really can save lives. But also to be proactive in knowing your family history too. Like when you go into, uh, to see the doctor, I mean, like there's, there's a reason why they ask and, you know, it might not be, I mean, not everybody knows what like your grandma died of, but, but to like encourage those conversations with your family as well of like, Mm -hmm. okay, what's prevalent in our history that could possibly affect me someday. Oh, absolutely. It's huge. Mm -hmm. And, and even knowing your, you know, your, your familial heritage, you know, Mm -hmm. are you French Canadian? Are you, you know, Ashkenazi Jewish? Where did your family come from? It's actually really helpful because we know that there are mutations that run in, you know, certain groups of people. And we're learning that more and more. You know, one community that's extremely underserved is, is the black community. And we're finding that BRCA actually is more prevalent than once thought within Black people, but for many, many reasons that that hasn't been uncovered. And so I think what we're finding is that we really should be, you know, testing more people for genetic mutations Mm -hmm. earlier on in life, not waiting until someone gets cancer and then saying, oh, oh my goodness, you have this mutation, you know? I'm curious, Shoshana, the measures that you've taken for surgery, of course, um, for prevention, but what are some of the other lifestyle changes that you've made outside of surgery or have you had to make any other extreme adjustments in your regular life to preserve your life? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's a good question. You know, because of my strong family history of cancer, it's always been something on my mind. Mm. And so, and, and, and so being a physician, I, you know, Oh, I knew that exercise, I'm, I'm fanatical about it, always have been since my 20s. So I work out at least an hour a day. I do cardio and, and lift weights and don't really do any stretching, even though I should. And, you know, reducing the amount of, of red meat and other meats in my diet is something that I've over the last probably five or six years, you know, been trying and trying to do. Um, that's huge. I don't really drink alcohol. I mean, I'll have a sip of wine, you know, here and there or on a special occasion, have a drink. But, you know, that's something that people don't realize because our culture is so geared around drinking. And Mm -hmm. for social occasions, you know, people go to bars to hang out and everyone drinks. And alcohol is actually really poisonous. Uh, And it's not a popular thing to say, I realize. And I certainly, you know, over the years have enjoyed drinking but it's something that, you know, especially for women and especially in the context of breast cancer, we know that reducing alcohol intake or, you know, completely eliminating alcohol intake makes a difference. Um, so that's a I'm going to live thing. forever then. No, I'm just kidding. I know. Danielle's great. <laughs> and then, you know, trying to reduce stress in my life, which uh, I mean, is so hard. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I've been a, a meditator. Um, I use transcendental meditation um, mm. as as you know regularly as I can, um, which for me is just a way to quiet my mind and you know really get grounded. So those are 
those are the big things I think um, for me. Um, luckily, I haven't had to make huge changes in terms of my day to day life. But, uh, you know, those are just those are just things I think are helpful for anybody at any age to be doing. But we know that they reduce your risk of of uh, of illness. Shoshana, we're coming to the close of this, but you're just someone who's been so passionate about end of life care. And I can only imagine what it's been like for you balancing both sides, you know, provider, daughter. And now like trying to have these conversations with your dad too about what his wishes might be yeah. if, you know, the chemo treatments are too difficult or if he doesn't respond to um, like the PARP therapy and stuff like that. Any advice that you can give or like yeah. to anyone else that, you know, might be in similar situations or you know, just how you're holding space for yourself to yeah. like be a daughter here too. Yeah. Well, from, from the very first conversation after his diagnosis, you know, we, we immediately talked about quality of life mm-hmm. and that for my dad, uh, that was just so, so important. And so we, we even said, Hey, like, this is going to be hard, no matter if you have these mutations or not. If you just want to go to Hawaii and hang out and drink wine and, you know, go on hospice, that is perfectly fine. You know, like it just was something that that conversation actually was a lot easier than I would have imagined. I think because our Mm -hmm. family like talks about this stuff a lot Mm -hmm. and we have always in the face of it being so real and so proximate, it was, you know, like, oh, is this really happening? But, you know, I think our palliative care doctor has been really, really helpful. So we immediately enlisted their help, you know, alongside the oncologist and other specialists, because, you know, for for me, I feel like having an extra layer of support of somebody who's focused on my dad's, you know, comfort and 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 symptom management is really really helpful and there's so many things that come up with with cancer treatment like weird pain and he got hiccups that wouldn't go away for for days and days like nobody except for palliative care could help us they were just like well we don't really know how to treat that and so that's been hugely helpful and i think getting back to that question about uncertainty it's like we just don't know how long he has, even if he does well with chemotherapy and gets these PARP inhibitors, we're going to always be living in this liminal space of like, gosh, will he be around next year? Will mm-hmm. he be able to see his grandchildren, my, my niece and nephew, you know, graduate from middle school and maybe high school? Will he be able to vote, <laughs> you know, in the next election? Mm-hmm. Um, we just don't, we just don't know. And so I guess, we all live with uncertainty all the time. I think mm-hmm. just in the in the face of 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 a terminal illness, it's just so much more real. And we try every day to be grateful that that we have that time. And I, I moved up to the town where he lives, and I've just since July been living here and trying to see him as much as I can. And yeah, and in terms of of my own self-care, you know, my husband has really stepped up 
in like insane ways to, to help me. It's something, you know, he's gone way above and beyond um, just to be there. And I just, there's no way I could do it without him. So I'm just grateful. I'm so grateful that you have that support system. I, oh. I really, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your story. And I just have the utmost and awareness. Yeah. And the, I just have the utmost respect for you too, for navigating this time with such grace and compassion, but also empowerment to educate others because you, your story and your, your platforms are going to be able to help hopefully so many other people and families to help navigate this time as well. And hopefully save more lives. Mm-hmm. I hope so too. And I, I just want to thank you both so much for being wonderful friends and, um, and colleagues and, and just being willing to have this conversation with me mm-hmm. means a lot. We'll be sure to link the article that we referenced a few times. Genetic counseling and. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. of course, end well and where everyone can find resources to find you as well. Thank you so much. Jack, do you need a deep breath? Let's do one. Okay. (sighs) I just love how empowered Shoshana is with her health and the steps that she's taken since finding out that she's BRCA2 to like take, take charge of her health. Like that's incredible. That's an incredible feat. Absolutely. I hope everyone can be inspired by Shoshana's courageousness and Mm -hmm. ability to look at these hard things and take control of her own health. And I do just one more time want to applaud Shoshana on being able to share her story because it's not easy. And the fact that she Mm -hmm. is in the thick of it right now and has the space to come on our podcast and go on Mm -hmm. her own podcast and share and talk about it for the benefit of others. She's just truly one of the strongest women that I know. And I'm so grateful that she came on this episode to share. Yeah. You can find Shoshana on Instagram at ShoshanaMD. That's S-H-O-S-H-A-N-A-M-D. You can also follow along at Well Project for her podcast and we will link the findyourgeneticcounselor.com we will find that we'll put like the actual link in the show notes for you this is an important episode y'all share it i'm i'm not telling you like if you like it share it i'm telling you to share it because this is major health information that more people need to be aware of mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if you know of anybody in your family or any of your friends that, you know, their relatives are going through something like this or they're going through it. Y'all, look out for each other. Mm. Send them the podcast. Mm. Tell them to go get tested. Take charge. Yes. You deserve to live a full life. As always, thank you for tuning in with us. We will catch you next Friday. On that note, WOMED out. Out.